0: Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate and provide education from our guests' experience.
1: This week, Julia and I are joined in the studio by Mark Price.
0: Mark's career started early. Straight from school, you did apprenticeship in a dental lab, which is mainly involving doing prosthetic work.
2: So all the knowledge was there. I didn't. I don't see it as as retraining I see it as expanding my knowledge mm. and I had these ability skills and experience that I could put into practice so for me it was just a no-brainer uh, it's something that I needed to do because I had the talent within me.
0: You moved around various prosthetic labs eventually owning your own prosthetic lab then retrained to be a clinical dental technician and have a keen interest in the sort of technical applications of Implant rehabilitation for patients.
2: Well, we're healthcare professionals. Mm-hmm. You know, at your core, if you care about people's health, that's that's where I believe you should start.
0: And you've even produced and invented something called the Smart Bar, which I'm sure we will get to uh, hear more about during the course of this podcast. With your hosts, Josh Hudson and Julia Bruin.
1: Mark, thanks for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. So I noticed you started in the dental field early. So can you tell us a little bit about where this all started? What got you into dentistry and dental technology
2: in the first place? I think it found me more than I found it. Okay. Uh, My brother used to work up at a dental laboratory just up from my school, my secondary school, which was 11 miles away from my home. So I used to catch a bus every day there and back. Apart from the occasions when I used to get detention. Okay. <laughs> oh, I can't believe there were many of those. <laughs> um, so, on those occasions, maybe one or two of them, uh, I used to have to walk up to the lab and get a lift home with my brother. So, I used to have about 45 minutes just to play about. They'd give me a bench and I'd play about with a handpiece and try filing. And then there'd be all these dentures and partials at the end of the day and they'd made all the dentures. And uh, one of the guys said, can you put all these uh, partial dentures on the right models? And, it's like, and he said, oh, you're quite good at this. <laughs> so I thought, well, maybe i found my niche. Following from that, I used to go into the lab during the holidays. And then I realized I really liked this. Uh, it was hands-on and uh, went from there. And then did you, so you did an apprenticeship at
1: that lab with your brother?
2: I did one, one day a week. Uh, used to go through to Kitson College in Leeds, uh, and then for the final year went to Leeds Dental Hospital.
1: Okay, so if you had to think back to those early days, if you had to describe describe those days in three words, what three words do you think you'd
2: use to describe it? Um, baptism of fire. Okay, we're going to count that as one. <laughs> <laughs> um, an awakening. It was the real world. I yeah. came from being a sixteen-year-old uh, school pupil. Uh, I remember working there one day, and the uh, dentist would always be coming in at intervals, and uh, I'd hear the odd dentist use uh, the odd swear word, and I couldn't believe it. it's a sixteen-year-old naive boy, dentist swear. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: so I think I held him in quite a high, <laughs> yeah. with high regard. Uh, but then you understand that uh, people are just people, and mm. uh, grew from there. Mark,
0: you've talked about your mentoring in your very early days when you were an apprentice. And now when you were fast forward, when you're in your own dental lab, what sort of mentoring did you have at those times?
2: Um, well, I already felt very fortunate that i been taught very good techniques pr- from a prosthetic point of view. And then I'd seen somewhere in a magazine, uh, something called the Gerber uh, system or the Gerber philosophy. And it's where they uh, were measuring the condylar inclination and I could see there were 16 degrees on one side and 17 on the other, and I was fascinated by that. And then I found and I
0: Presumably had, they should be equal. I mean, no. you're not talking to somebody who- No,
2: it's, it's patient specific. Oh, right. and that's okay. And that's that's the bit I didn't know. Ah, so okay. um, I uh, was fortunate to be introduced to Max Bossart in Switzerland, who was under study when he was a young man to Professor Gerber, who was a forefather of a lot of things that we do now even though you might not realize it in dentistry mm. who uh, before him was Alfred who set up the uh, dental hospital in Zurich and from that I I was blown away by the simplicity of their approach and the impact it could have so much so I had a patient who had several sets of dentures and couldn't get on with any of them she'd had them from various different uh, technicians dentists CDTs throughout the area um, And I realized applying this simple knowledge, uh, I would stop the lower occlusal table at the fours. Because I wanted more of an occlusal table, I put a four where the canine should be and a four where the four should be. And uh, on review with the patient the week after, uh, she'd, she'd said to me, I can eat peanuts. I can't believe it, I can eat peanuts. And for me, that just sealed the deal for something so simple to have that impact for the patient was incredible. In fact, I'm not doing anything extra, I'm doing something less. And that's just from understanding.
0: Yeah, and that whole thing less is more is really, yeah, the simplicity. You've opened your own dental lab. You've had a complete career change by retraining as a clinical dental technician. And you've got a very keen interest and innovations within the dental implant world so what drives you to do these new things and develop yourself
2: I think it's when you can get contact uh, direct contact with the patient uh, you, you always want to achieve more you want to, you always want to achieve better so I'm probably quite critical of myself and if I believe that I can find a, a new way to make the prosthesis uh, change the patient's life in a, a certain direction or be more uh, have more finesse to it then uh, I'll aim to do that, which is more or less what brought Smart Bar about.
0: So dental implants have definitely done that for a lot of patients, haven't they? Because, of course, that whole thing of patients who haven't been able to wear um, certain appliances are now having a rebirth by having something that's more stable, that's more functional, if you like. So you said about changing lives and making a difference to patients.
2: That was the biggest impact I had with me when I first started doing immediate loads, was how you could change a patient within four to six hours and the dramatic impact that had. I'd never seen that before in dentistry. It always takes quite a lot. Of, well, immediate loads take a lot of planning, yeah. <laughs> but yes. the time frame between the, the plan and it being delivered uh, was dramatically reduced. And I just thought that was amazing. Some of the, uh, affects your oven patients. I thought it was wonderful.
0: So you haven't been sitting back, you've been right up there thinking about these things.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been doing it for 15 years, immediate loads, and I could see uh, improvements could be made. I think to begin with, you would retrofit the arch, if you like, or the prosthetic plan. But in essence, you would uh, leave it slightly bulkier than you'd ideally like to, because you need the strength of that first six months while the implants integrate. And for me, that wasn't good enough. I wanted to do something that just resembled the teeth, mm. or just resembled the lost tissue, and nothing, no excess. I didn't want any excess. Mm-hmm. Probably because that would be my only fear when I relate to it, I think. I'm not sure I could handle that, I wouldn't wanna handle that. Mm. You have gotta realize when you screw that in on that afternoon of the immediate load placement day, there's nothing you can do for 12 weeks, so it has to be absolutely perfect, or as good as it can be. Okay, so
1: taking a a step back and thinking about those things that you've done and that transition from becoming a technician to a clinical dental technician. So I think you qualified as a clinical dental technician in 2011 so what was it what led you to i don't know one day go okay i think i'm going to become a clinical dental technician rather than just carry on the way that you were going what was it that turning point that led you to make that change
2: well i'd been trained since i was 16 probably clinically since i was 18. i wasn't hands-on but i there i was there and i knew everything that my boss was teaching me and the clinician at the time Mm -hmm. so all the knowledge was there i didn't i don't see it as as retraining, I see it as expanding my knowledge. Yeah. And I had these abilities, skills and experience that I could put into practice. So for me, it was just a no brainer. Uh, it's something that I needed to do because I had the talent within me, so. So you already had
1: sign of clinical exposure and it was yeah. just kind of pushing that forward and formalizing that a little bit more, I
2: guess. Yeah, I, I think w- with being a, a young 16, 17 year old, getting out of the lab and going up with your boss to a, a dental practice was quite nervy but so intriguing yeah and then every time you went into the surgery for me it was a special occasion I think it's very different for uh, dentists when they're uh, growing up and they go through and they're finally in practice so that they can be faced with a number of patients within that day mm-hmm. for me it was one patient a day possibly one patient a week so it was always a special occasion for yeah. me I've never lost that uh, and that's something that I feel very grateful for. So it's still exciting too. And, f- and almost feel ashamed that other people can't have that. I imagine I couldn't see 30 patients a day and I'd lose that <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that um, uniqueness, you know? So it's that excitement of getting yeah. out of the lab and
1: yeah. meeting people and, and doing things differently. And,
2: yeah. and being with uh, somebody who was passing on so much knowledge to me, I just wanted to absorb all I could. And I was just, uh, I had a great amount of respect uh, for Tony Kitchen who taught me and uh, from there, yeah, it's good.
0: So there might be people who are listening to this podcast who perhaps aren't familiar with the remit of a clinical dental technician. Do you want to just talk us through your sort of average day as a clinical dental technician?
2: Well, I've never seen myself as a clinical dental technician. And if, if you say, oh, what do you do? I'll say I'm a dental technician. Interesting. Because I've never really put the two together. I wasn't once a a dental technician and now I'm a clinical technician so I've never really seen it like that.
0: But you're now seeing your own your patients are perhaps coming to see you for all of your skills and all of your expertise. So that that's why I I just felt you know they they they're not coming to see me, they're not coming to see Joe Smith down the road. They they're really coming to see you for your skills. So
2: I like it's one day a week. I do one one day of clinic. A week mm-hmm. and then I'll come back to the lab and do my bits and pieces the rest of the days, and then go back the following week and do the next stages. So uh, I would say I'm overridden uh, with clinical work, yeah. uh, it's just a nice balance. I think one day is, is, is nice, and then the rest of the days doing the technical work to support those appointments. Mm, it's a nice balance. Two days would be could be a little bit too much, possibly. Three days, I probably couldn't. Um, do the technical work to the standard I'd like, or, or, or invest the time in it. So mm-hmm. The balance is quite nice there. A day and a half, I think, would be about perfect. <laughs>
1: so, so practically, what what can you do? Is it to taking impressions for dentures, implant work? What what can you do within your within your scope? Or, and what do you do within your scope?
2: Um, I probably don't use it to its potential uh, as the majority of other CDTs. Uh, there's quite a bit of scope of practice, whereas I just focus on um, uh, full full dentures, mm-hmm. uh, the odd partial. Uh, I work with a dentist who can support me when I'm just out of my scope of practice, or they would cover me for partial dentures. That's a bit. what
0: I was going to say. So so and is, and that's where you're getting a referral for a partial denture, but perhaps seeing people buy direct access alternatively?
2: Uh, I used to a few years ago um, in my own practice uh, in Ripon, But then I found that there's a lot of red tape around all that and I'm a lot happier. Uh, I'm I'm a very hand and eye coordination person and I like dealing with people. So I like going into a surgery, being underneath that umbrella uh, and I believe I'm working more efficiently like that as opposed to the red tape in my own practice. So um, I'm a lot more inclined to work underneath there. And a happy
0: patient makes for a happy dental technician. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then I suppose you do. So you take the impressions, and then that workflow, the dental te- technology side of that workflow, is all you as well. Is that?
2: Yeah, I cast all my own models. So there's only polish you to dentures, only do you to absolutely blame. everything.
1: <laughs> if everything goes, if it doesn't quite fit, then I guess it's only you've got yourself to go back to. But well, yeah. it's it must be nice for you, I guess, to have that con- continuation and have be able to do things how you want to do it, and good for the patient as well that there's that continuation of care um for them as well
2: that's probably how i differ in that uh when i was a technician uh the protocols that you would see it's very fortunate to be a technician in, in a very large laboratory because you will see maybe a hundred dentists work coming through so you know their weaknesses strengths their protocols you know everything
0: you know which ones you'd like to see as a patient yeah <laughs> when
2: you're a dentist i imagine it's quite isolated you don't yeah. know all, all the others so uh i look at my own protocols and I go through the stages. So when I go from impressions to bite, I know my impressions are sound. Mm. I know my bite is sound when I go to try and there are no shocks. All my work fits at the <laughs> end there. because I've established that at the appointment before. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's really uh, important for the patient. That it, it's not something that happens to the patient. I say to my patients, it takes both of us to make this set of teeth. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yes. Um and, and there are no shocks. They know the outcome for the final. A lot of my patients are excited for the fit appointment because they know exactly what they're getting. Mm. There is no shock. There is no unknown. Uh, they've, they've more or less directed the look themselves to a certain extent.
0: And it sounds like they are just getting the most amazing care, which you must get a buzz out of.
2: Yeah. Well, we're healthcare professionals. Mm-hmm. You know, at your core, if you care about people's health, that's, that's where I believe you should start. The rest is protocols, simple as that. Yeah, yeah.
0: you're make, definitely making a difference.
2: It, I have made a difference to a number of people and that's uh, great to have a value of worth and uh, a reason for being. It's one of the most important things a human can do.
1: Yeah. And you're in a unique position where, like you said, there's hundreds of dentists that you've seen do things in a certain way. And I presume you've been able to draw on all that experience to say, Okay, well, I don't want to do it like this and um, that works quite well it, do you find that when you look at how you do things or
2: it goes back to my initial training uh from my uh, first boss Tony Kitchen the, the protocols are sound uh, you, you don't go into the next stage until you know that's correct yeah simple as that so it's very rare do I have to go back a stage
0: I mean we've talked to quite a lot of people during this podcast and and it's it's no surprise really that people are talking in the way that you are saying that actually it all stems from having the start of being in a very good team. And if you're lucky enough to get that at the beginning of your career, mm-hmm. then if you get it, you'll be at the start and the end of your very long and happy career because you're working alongside amazing people. And I think you'd probably, um, that's, that's really what you were saying to us earlier.
2: Yeah, I I think I was fortunate because you can be taught by the mainstream and the mainstream will take care of the mainstream patients. When you're outside of that, what do you do? So I was taught what to do when you're outside of that from the start. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So the level was, was was simple protocols, they worked. So I didn't change anything. I just went
1: on. Just carried on. So I think a lot of people listening to this will be aware that the number of dental technicians is reducing and i think there's different aspects to that and you know we don't necessarily need to get into that but i think one part of that might be dental technicians not necessarily feeling fulfilled in what they're doing and one solution to that might be doing this kind of additional training if you like to have this clinical element and become a clinical dental technician do you think that's the case do you think that people who are dental tech in dental technology should have this extra arrow to their bow so to speak and would, would you tell technicians to consider this as something to to do going forward?
2: Oh, without a doubt. If, if you're feeling you're a bit stuck in a rut or you want more, then uh, go out and find it. It's all there for you. There's some excellent clinicians and technicians around the UK. There's many opportunities to go and see them, visit them, learn from them. Um, and when you see the standard of work, then at least you have an idea of what you would like to achieve, and they'll show you how. Yeah, it's great.
0: So what, what was the turning point in you deciding to have a, a bit of a different career direction, a different pathway? What what suddenly made you think, right, okay, today's the day I'm gonna do change?
2: As far as the clinical?
0: Yes, or, or just generally, because it sounds like you've had a various different paths, directions. You know, you started off uh, in a prosthetic lab and then you decided to set up your own lab. So, you know, You've had one change there. You then think, right, okay, I'm, I'm in my lab. I want to try and do something different. I'm gonna try and do some additional qualifications here. I think we're all fascinated to hear about people's turning points and, and what makes them decide to go down a different road.
2: Well, for me, well, I don't think it was a conscious decision. Um, I feel I just wanted to be as good as I could be. Uh, it gave me avenues of, I thought it was quite important. When I first started, there was quite a differentiation between a prosthetic technician and a crown and bridge technician. And you would all see the crown and bridge technician. Yes. Yes. I I get that. And then you might look a little bit low down at the uh, prosthetic technicians. But in essence, as it's turned around with uh, full arch and immediate loads and implants over the last 10, 15 years, you have an opportunity then for your skill set to come in. Because I could see many crown and bridge technicians that struggled with the full arch, they could do beautiful work between two, three, four, five units, mm. but to rehabilitate a patient who has no teeth whatsoever, um, that was a real challenge to me, and it and I had the experience and the ability to do it, so I I think that there's a bit of a comeback now for the prosthetic technicians because of their skill set. Yes, it's needed a lot more.
0: Which perhaps brings us to your. Innovation with the Smart Bar. I mean, perhaps talk us through that.
2: Again, it was just simply because when you would do the temporary prosthesis, you would thicken it up more than ideally you'd like to. It's as simple as that. And I didn't want that for my patients. I knew I could do better. So I had to come up with, or I I longed to come up with a a solution. And Smart Bar is just a solution. It's a a male and female uh, metal strengthening between two cylinders, two or more. And if I can achieve that and strengthen the arch, then I can thin it down, make it more dainty, and the patients will accept it much better. Because we're closer to the end result right at the beginning, then you can use that as a format to get the result you like. And it was as simple as that.
0: But you've got to have the support of the people who are putting the implants in and doing that element of... Oh, without um... a
2: doubt. In fact, I support them. That's everything that I do. I love prosthetic planning because... For me, when you get um, the center line and the incisal edge of the central perfect, that sets the whole arch up. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I love prosthetic planning. And then for the dentist to okay that, and then once he's got that plan, which we know is gonna work, you Mm -hmm. can retrofit and design where your implant positions are gonna be from that. So your uh, starting point is your end goal and you work within that. So I love creating that information and seeing it come through to the implant placement and the delivery of the bridge. Yeah, I like that. Is all of your work now stuff
1: that you're doing, or do you do anything for anybody else, so to speak? Yeah, so in what? So, so the dental technology, the lab, the lab work that you're making—is that all for your own patients, or do you see?
2: No, no, else? no. I have uh, small select patients throughout the UK. Uh, I'm not sure if I just get the tricky jobs. <laughs> I think I do, um, but I enjoy what that.
0: What do you call a tricky job?
2: Uh, a challenge, something that's out of the mainstream. Um, if a surgeon might come across a patient or a case that might find a bit challenging, uh, they obviously know the technicians that they use mainstream might struggle with that, so I tend to get a call. So I've got a really nice job here. <laughs> so talk us have.
0: through what a nice job... I mean, I, I, genuinely, I'm interested to know what you perceive as a, as a tricky job or a, a challenging job or, or something that's going to stretch you
2: um i like the engineering uh, behind the prosthesis that we make um so i think it comes underneath the engineering of it um if you have a, a difficulty in where you can place the implants and the surgeon can't put as many or the implants in the positions he wants right what do we do mm. so then you fall back on the internal engineering between milled frameworks attachments stress breakers is the most important thing or more or less understanding uh, the forces applied to the uh, to the arches that we make. And when you understand that from an engineering point of view, then you get much more longevity out the of the prosthesis and you get a lot less problems. So it really is quite simple engineering. And I love that bit. You talked a lot about pre-prosthetic planning.
1: So how, do you get involved a lot in terms of before implants have even been placed? How, how does- Oh yeah,
2: without a doubt. So how does that work between- the- Well, it, unless you work like that, Unless you work that way, you're always on the back foot. Mm. And I don't like working on the back foot. Uh, for many years, we always worked on the back foot. Uh, you'll be presented with problems and how do you solve them? Also, well, within hindsight, we would have done this, this, and this, and this. And I'm thinking, I'm always, I'm, I'm always hindsight's so, a wonderful thing, isn't it? Well, that's what I create. I create that hindsight beforehand. So we can see it all in uh, CAD. Uh, I can see it on my articulate. I can see exactly how the j- job is going to develop. All we need is to confirm the decent bone, where the implant's gonna go, Mm. and that can deliver that plan.
1: So there's a lot of push to have restoratively driven implant placement and rehabilitation. I don't know if it's that common to necessarily have the technician fully involved in in that part. I don't know if it's more common for the dentist to kind of make those decisions. So from what you're saying, definitely it's important for the technicians to be
2: brought more into that. Mm. And do you feel like it's going more that way? I hope so. I hope so, patients would be a lot better off if it did. <laughs> if that was a, a, a standard protocol, then everybody, all the dental team would gain from that. I think I've been in a little bubble, really, so I'm not quite sure about yeah. what mainstream is. Mm. Um, but ideally, if a if a, a surgeon wants help with the case, then I want it, the DICOM data, and we do it from that stage and we plan. Uh, and that's the way I like doing it.
1: Mm, it's interesting. I think that's, yeah, definitely something to think about. And then kind of along those lines, really, is there anything that we as clinicians or as a dental industry that you think we should be doing differently? Anything that we should be starting to do or s- stopping doing to, to do better for our patients?
2: Last well, that's difficult. That's difficult. always <laughs> a difficult question. Yeah. Um,
0: you can do start or stop if you like, ba- base, or, or do both.
2: Uh, basically, I, I, I don't like over committing. And if you can be honest, that's probably the best way. Uh, And when you follow that step by step, then it's about communication with the patient, it's about communication with the surgeon. Uh, And if you get all those uh, into a little recipe, then you have some really good protocols to go ahead and deliver to the patient something that might not necessarily be within their expectations, but something that's functional Mm -hmm. and something that they feel it can be social in. Uh, when I'm treating patients, I say 95% of what I do uh, is, is with regards to function. 5% of it is to do with the aesthetics in my book. Yeah. Because to get the light, the right look and the right appearance that the patient would like, for me, is only a matter of time. It's not something you can fall short of. Yeah. It's simple, you know? It's a matter of time.
0: But do you think sometimes patients get those percentages the wrong way around. I mean, they're, they're probably... i the
2: dentist, Mike. <laughs> no, no but, but
0: genuinely, because I think sometimes we sort of have to manage patients' expectations and I I see your 5% um, for the aesthetics, but actually, how do patients react when you say those sorts of 5% um, aesthetics, 95 function? I mean, what, what's their reaction to that? Well,
2: to a certain extent, they can be a little shocked because they're... Uh, some patients will come in, and it's all about the look. I want this look. Yeah. yeah. I want that look. Um, I always try and work within the realms of mother nature, and this is something that my original boss had taught me. You can cheat mother nature a little bit, but mm-hmm. there's the, but there's a, a window there. Yeah. Uh, so there is communication with the patient. Do you get them
0: to bring a photograph of themselves in?
2: If they like to, yeah, yeah, yeah. But any information uh, is fantastic for me. You can even. Uh, I even say to them, you don't even have to have your mouth open, or it can be quite a long shot, because you can tell skeletally what they are, mm. and you can. It's quite incredible that you can follow certain techniques of Mother Nature, and the answer when you get the correct vertical dimension and the jaw relationship and centric relation, and you follow Mother Nature's laws, you come up with a very similar answer than they have in nature, and they look at, wow. That's yeah,
0: I'm just right. I, I, I'm I'm having a wild wow moment just <laughs> listening to you. <laughs> How do you do that? Well, yeah. I don't
2: know actually. All I did was choose yeah. the right size teeth. uh Females uh, generally will have curved incisor ledges. The canines are always in the same position, be that uh naturally or uh, uh, unnaturally. Going to look see, at everybody's
0: incisors in a very different way now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I've I've been like that for years, <laughs> so I think it comes naturally now. So. We talked at the start about the
1: three words that describe those early stages, those stages where you were um, late after school, hanging out with your brother at the dental lab that he worked at and and kind of how you felt at that point. But what three words would you use to describe the point that you're at now in your career? Has that changed?
2: Baptism of fire. Still <laughs> baptism of fire. Uh, I'm,
1: I'm are we st- <laughs> doing that as three
0: again, or are we doing that as
2: one? Yeah. Uh, I am really excited about, uh, the future and what I would like to achieve. Mm -hmm. I think there's just as much uh, to achieve now than I've in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that it's good to gain experience, knowledge, protocols and share those. Mm -hmm. Um, And get it out to as many people as you can. And then everybody in the dental team will hopefully have a a better feedback, more uh, self enjoyment from their career Um, and the patients will only benefit from that.
0: I mean, you you led yourself into perhaps my last question there, where you said about your future and excited about the future. So perhaps just tease out a couple of things for our listeners about how you see the future of your career and perhaps other people's.
2: Uh, Well, hopefully I'm on the cusp of having some impact that will be extremely positive um, and it can be used. It's as simple as that. It can be used for tech to make technicians life easier uh, so what do
0: you want to be remembered for
2: i'm not concerned about being remembered at <laughs> all <laughs>
0: oh I, I i think you know no on the contrary i think um you've already touched on the fact that you've made a lot of difference to lots of patients and i think you've probably with your smart bar and your protocol and your views on things, you've probably made a difference already.
2: Yeah, I'd like to share that more. The more people I can uh, influence uh, in a good way, uh, the better. I think that's probably where my ideals lie, even though I don't get anything from that personally. but I I think we're all uh, symbiotic.
1: And looking back now as well, is there anything that you know now that you wish that you'd known back when you
2: first started? no i found found the whole journey uh wonderful really yeah it depends how you look at things yeah Uh, i've learned a lot i've learned a lot from mistakes but they've brought me to where i am now um i'm a great believer in uh not being too judgmental on mistakes they can be a wonderful thing yeah 100 percent no not at all yeah yeah It's been my a pleasure. pleasure. Thank oh, you.
1: My pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode.
0: We would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please like, share, subscribe and listen out for future episodes.